Welcome. You're listening to audio from Haddington Elam Church. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this week's message. Today I'm calling the message Prepare the Way. And as many of you know, last week we had our mums come and visit. We were very pleased. They were able to get away on Thursday and they were able to, to make their way home. We had watched over Thanksgiving, we watched that film, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Any of you ever seen it? Kind of like a classic. And it's this idea that they're trying to get home in time for Thanksgiving. And all the, every kind of comical thing you could think of happens to them. Well, our moms, we watched that film and then that was their adventure home. So they said they were literally running to their gate in the airport and just different things could have potentially gone wrong, but they were able to get home. But if you've ever hosted an event or you've had company or family come to your home, there's many things that you have to do to prepare. You are preparing for their arrival. And we were excited as we began to get things ready. We were excited to, to tidy the things. I remember going into the garden and there was leaves that had blown in. I was tidying the garden and Sherry's fixing up the beds and fluffing the pillows and everything you could think of to get things ready. But what was was interesting to us was that it wasn't that we're looking at the work that has to be done. We were thinking about the visit and how excited that we were of their arrival. We went and did some shopping for some treats that we think they would like, and they've been to Scotland a number of times, so there wasn't much that they hadn't tried as far as iron brew or different kind of treats or, or, or things like that, but, um, but we found some things that we thought that they would, would enjoy. Our hearts were looking forward to seeing them, and it's been a couple of years since we saw them through lockdown and things, uh, so our hearts were looking with excitement. Jesus, our Savior, is preparing a place for us, and for the last 2,000 years, he's been preparing a place for us. The late Keith Green said that he said, I don't know if God created the earth in seven literal days or a span, but he said if, if he created all this in seven days, imagine what he's been doing for 2,000 years. And I started to think about the preparations and maybe he, like us, has excitement that one day we'll be with him. And maybe as he's preparing things now, he's getting excited. And there's preparations that need to be made and hopefully he's looking forward to our arrival. People around the world celebrate the birth of Jesus. Many decorate their houses. Many even get out a ladder and will nail lights up to the, to the roof, sometimes dangerous getting ready and preparing for Christmas. Some decorate trees, there's one here that's decorated. Preparations are being made for an important guest. And not only an important guest, the most important guest, the most important arrival in all history. And no, I'm not talking about Santa. But to have a VIP, and not just even a VIP, but royalty, great lengths of preparations are made. Hotels, restaurants, and every accommodation is sparkling clean. I remember visiting the uh, Queen's ship there docked, the Britannia, and it was still sparkling even though she's not on it. But it was each day the man is there shining the brass and the, all the plates and things are set out. The finest china, if you're having royalty come, the finest china, goblets and glasses are put out. And if you're like me, you have to uh, Google what forks and spoons do you use because the, the setting is large. This is the time for the silver tea set and the silver cutlery. This is a royal visit, no ordinary moment. This is huge. 
You might even get out the cloth napkins that you use for those very special occasions because those have to be laundered after. But friends, when the king of all kings, the most royal visit, the king of all kings came, even the scrubbiest inn in Bethlehem couldn't make room. They reluctantly gave space to them in their barn. Their audience wasn't the national orchestra as dignitaries receive when they come or royalty gets to experience when they visit somewhere. The ballet didn't perform the award-winning dance routine. All the dignitaries of their day didn't send the Mercedes Camel Brigade out to meet them. The caravan did not pick them up at the station. They weren't received at all. There was a royal announcement, but it was to shepherds who were startled by an angel and surrounded by a heavenly host of angels who were filled with joy at the arrival of our majestic king. For the arrival of the creator of all things, the long-awaited Messiah, his audience was farm animals and shepherds. But preparations were being made in Israel for his arrival. And they were made in the humble man called John, known as the baptizer, because he baptized people in the Jordan River. He urged people to make way for the coming of the king the Messiah that everyone was waiting for. Before John came on the scene, if you look in your Bible at the Old Testament to the New, for us it's one page to turn. But that page represents a 400-year span of silence that between the Old Testament and the New, there was no prophet's voice heard. There was no voice or instruction from God. 400-year silence with no prophetic voice spoken in Israel. And John comes on the scene, and it says he comes in the power and spirit of Elijah, the forerunner to Jesus. John is known or, or reckoned as the last of the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus said of John that he was the greatest born of women. The stage is set, and the curtain is about to open on the first act of this heavenly drama about to unfold just like hush before a play, when the lights begin to go down, there's been a hush here for 400 years, broken by the sounds of a crying baby. And this is no ordinary cry of this baby in a manger. This is Son of God being born. And I have some scripture verses we're going to look at today. If you have your Bible, your phone, your tablet, if you want to take notes, Luke 1.15. Many of you will be familiar with a lot of these scriptures but this is speaking of John and John's arrival on the scene. Luke 1, beginning in verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And this would be known in those days as the Nazarite vow, where he would drink no strong drink, no razor would be used upon his head. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Elijah was a man who called Israel to radical repentance. So he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah we're going to look at John's account of John the Baptist. John chapter 1, verse 6. A man came, once sent from God, 
and his name was John. And even his birth was miraculous as his parents were elderly and well advanced in years and they were not able to have children. And so God gives him this son, John. Verse seven, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the true light that came into the world and it enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. These accounts of John as the forerunner, the forebearer coming before. It's like the person that goes and prepares the things before the meal is set, before the roads are paved. They have to do all that preparation. John is going to prepare and make the way. And John knew or foresaw what was coming behind, the savior of the world. But John came to prepare the way. And he came to prepare hearts. And he came to prepare families and people to be ready for the coming of the Messiah. Chapter three, verse one. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is what he said, this was his message. So if you went out to hear John the Baptist, this is what he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one calling out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So we have John on the scene. And he comes out of nowhere. No one knows who he is. He didn't go to the local Bible school. He didn't go into the temple. And he wasn't part of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. No one knew where he was from. But everyone was going out to him. Verse 4, and it says, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. So I don't think he went to Primark to get this outfit, although I've seen some pretty uh, furry vests and things there. It might have been maybe his style. And it says, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Anyone signing up for that menu to sit down with John to have a meal? He even dressed like Elijah. Elijah wore similar garments. And he liked the same tasty foods. Has anyone ever tried grasshoppers or locusts? I know that for a while people were dipping them in chocolate and trying. You've tried them? That was his, his favorite food. And I was thinking when he was getting honey, he probably had a bunch of stings, you know? John wouldn't have been, it says, if he took the Nazarite vow, that his hair would have been really long. And he probably had a big scrubby beard. He was not a great guy to look at, probably. He wasn't certainly gonna be uh, on a magazine cover. But it says in verse five, but at that time, Jerusalem was going out to him. And all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. So something in this man was drawing people out from a wide area, and they're coming to this man, not the best looking man, probably maybe even smelly if we're honest, to be baptized by him and confessing their sins because his message was repent. 
The Jews in those days baptized Gentile converts. But here's John baptizing Jews, which they did not do in those days, as authorized by heaven. If you came out to see John doing his baptisms in the river, you were watching a revival service because it says people were confessing their sins. And as they would come out of the water, their lives would look to be changed. They were changed by his message and their obedience to that message of repentance. Notice that the same progression is used in the book of Acts when he says, I will send you out in, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, that you'll be my witnesses into Jerusalem. Judea and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's the same thing. They're coming from Jerusalem and Judea, and they're coming from all over Israel to this man, John, to be baptized. Verse 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Now, John's words here are harsh. I don't know about you, has anyone ever called you a, a den of vipers, a brood of vipers? You know, snakes, slithering snakes. It's not very nice or kind language. But it was the religious leaders who refused to submit, thinking that they were already good enough and pleasing to God. And again, this speaks of the heart. They didn't feel that they had to repent of anything. Those of you that know we do prison work, and there's a difference when we're working with prisoners who don't feel that they have any victims and that they're innocent and those who are repentant and want to have that forgiveness and have that change. These religious leaders thought they were already good enough. I'm already accepted and approved by God. I don't know if they were coming out to maybe see, oh yeah, there's Sally. Ah, I see, you know. I don't know. But they were coming out to see what was going on, but they themselves were not being baptized. The Pharisees were the traditionalists of their day and the Sadducees were much more liberal. The two groups were often at odds and fought for the control of the nation. Does that sound familiar? Usually there seems to be always two groups, maybe conservative, maybe liberal, and they always seem to be fighting for control. But when it came to opposing the work of Jesus, they were quite united against him. They found common ground to oppose Jesus. And these are the same religious leaders that Jesus had to deal with again and again and even called them blind, leading the blind, and preventing others from knowing God. So the harshest words are coming not to the sinners and those with contrite hearts that came to be baptized. John received them, but it was the religious leaders that he reprimanded. And he continues saying to them, verse 9, And do not assume that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is being cut down and thrown in the fire. This is not candy coating it. John was direct and he does not have anything that they wanted to hear. He calls them snakes and vipers and those who like slither and scheme and do things behind the scenes. And then he says, those who don't produce good fruit, the ax is already ready to cut it down. The religious leaders should have been the ones that were leading the way and bringing the nation to repentance. But instead they were hard-hearted and fighting for power and control. 
The nation needed to prepare for the arrival of their long-awaited Messiah. They've been waiting hundreds of years. When Isaiah prophesied about the virgin shall bring forth a child, that was 700 years before Christ came. So we're talking almost a millennium of waiting for Messiah. And he's saying if you refuse to prepare and repent, the nation would be cut down. Friends, what a warning to us today. It should be a warning to us in our hearts. Do we want to be like those religious leaders and have hard hearts? Or do we want to be like those that are going out and repenting and wanting that changed life? John continues, verse 11, As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So John is recognizing that he's preparing the way because there's one that's coming after him who is the one that they're waiting for. And he's telling them to get ready. Friends, in all things, we have to prepare for things. We have to prepare. The baptism that John spoke of came at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. That is what he was speaking of. And whenever someone trusts Christ as their Savior, they are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And note, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this and even preach this, but the fire used here is speaking of future judgment. It is not mentioned by Jesus, nor is it mentioned in the outpouring in Acts it is future judgment. When he's talking about unquenchable fire, he's talking about those who will burn for eternity. Continuing on, verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have the need to be baptized by you, and yet you're coming to me? Remember, John's attitude was, he must increase I must decrease. John recognized his position and his place, and he was pointing to Jesus. That's, friends, our, our life goal is to point others to Jesus. He must increase. I must decrease. Jesus answered and said to him, allow it at this time. For in this way, it is fitting for us all to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him so John knew that baptism was for those sinners, those whose hearts needed to be changed. Jesus did not have any sin within him. And he says, but allow it this time. Jesus was baptized by John, not because he needed repentance, but it was the Father's will. Jesus did everything that the Father had him to do. His baptism gave approval of John's ministry and identified himself with those he came to save. So maybe as Jesus began his ministry and they would see him and they'd be like, he was getting baptized the same day as me. He identified with those that he came to save. Verse 16, after he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. Remember, John, when he saw Jesus walking, he said, there's the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. 
he identified Jesus, the Lamb of God, and the Son of God, which caused many to follow him. Remember, they said to John, many of your disciples, many of your followers have gone over to Jesus because of this, because he recognized that he was the Messiah and he was okay with his followers going because he was pointing them to Christ. Verse 17, and behold, a voice from the heavens said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This voice from the father approved all that Jesus had done to that point. And what the Bible says of Jesus to that point, it's silent. It says that he worked as a carpenter, but his years were silent. We don't know what he did other than working as a carpenter. He began his earthly ministry after this, this baptism. And then right after, on the heels of his baptism, it says that the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted and tried by the devil. And he began his earthly ministry. This voice from the Father was also the encouragement that Jesus needed as he began his earthly ministry. Maybe that was the moment where that recognition was for him to begin and start his earthly ministry. So friends, as we're winding down today and we're changed our calendar to December and as we're reflecting on all that'll go on, and I know for many of you, December is like one of the busiest months. I know that you're scrambling for parties and finishing up things for the end of the year and all that, but I pray that you make preparations for the arrival of Jesus. May he be in our thoughts that his gift that Jesus came, that the Father gave, Maybe he be in our thoughts and it be more than just, you know, trees and decorations, but that friends that we have thought of preparation for the arrival. And like I joked at the beginning about the little eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus, and we think of him at this time in the little manger and some of us even have the little nativity scenes and but he's not that little baby. He's the risen king coming again. John's warnings were to repent and get ready. Friends, I would say, as well as John, repent and get ready. May our hearts be repentant. He said, separate yourselves from the wrath to come. If there was ever a time to begin to have our hearts ready and prepared, this is the time. As I shared a couple of weeks ago about Revelation, there is going to be wrath of God poured out, seals and bowls and trumpets. He says, separate yourselves from the wrath to come. To repent means to feel sorry, to be reproachful or contrite of past conduct, to have regret or be conscience-stricken about past action, attitude, to feel such sorrow for sin or fault as to be disposed to change one life for the better. We are urged to get our hearts ready for the one whom they were waiting for. We're encouraged to repent before many great revivals of God in all history, there's been repentance. If you look at some of the greatest revivals in all history, repentance precedes revival. There's that getting ready. There is that time where people are beginning to separate themselves from sin and dedicate themselves to God. Even each time before we take communion, we have a time where we examine our hearts, prepare our hearts. Are we at a place to be able to receive this? To John, the fruits of repentance were a changed life, both heart and mind. People didn't leave the baptism of the river 
and just go back to what they were doing. Their lives had an actual change and their minds were changed. And the nation began to be ready for the arrival of Jesus. The nation had fallen into sin just like almost every nation in the world today. We need repentance again. We need to change our lives and act on that change. This isn't just lip service. This isn't just, just an apology. This is life change. This is going different than we were. We are called to be witnesses for him. That's one of the things that we are called to be. To represent him to the world today. And as we get closer to celebrating his birth, may our hearts be filled with that anticipation of his arrival. May we represent him. May we be able to tell somebody, this is why we celebrate, because the greatest gift of all time was given. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for another inspirational message. If you're in the East Lothian area, visit us online at haddingstonelamchurch.com for information about how you can join us for our weekly Sunday services.